the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Mankind opened the floodgate of all the things now that are in our world that were not originally intended to be here. Things like death, disease, crime, murder, betrayal, all kinds of inhumanity to other people, and and the list goes on and on. Every imaginable evil or suffering or pain in this world, what if it is the result of mankind's original rebellion against God? And what if now, because we live in this world, we are all affected in some way because of it? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Job. Today, Pastor Gary will be explaining what the Bible has to say about why we suffer in this life. We all know that God is good and that He's righteous and completely perfect. And we know that the devil is evil and brings about wickedness and corruption throughout the earth. The Bible is clear that Jesus came to bring life and life more abundant, and that it's Satan whose job description is to kill, steal, and destroy. We suffer in this life because ever since the Garden of Eden, we listened to the devil and allowed sin to enter the world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Job chapter 12 for today's message titled, God and Suffering. Well, according to a national survey conducted by the Barna Research Group on a scientifically selected cross-section of American adults, The question was asked of adults in America this, if you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? The number one request that people had that they wish they could ask God is this, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? And should it surprise us that this is the number one question? This is the thing that perplexes most people, just the idea of why is there pain and suffering in the world and why would God allow it? Now, the reality of pain and suffering has caused some people to question a couple of things about God. The first is the very existence of God. The idea is that suffering to some seems more compatible with a non-existent God than with an all-loving God. And the argument kind of goes, the idea kind of goes like this, that because there is obvious pain and suffering in our world and in our lives, it is more evidence 
for the absence of God. Because after all, if there really were a God, why would he seemingly stand idly by while all these terrible things happen to people in the world? And so with all sensitivity to you, if you might be in that camp where you are having trouble even believing in the existence of God because of all the pain and suffering and evil in the world, and it might even be personally related because of the pain and suffering in your own world, in your own life, I just want to kind of pose a few questions and ask that you keep an open mind. And the first question is, what if evil exists apart from God? What if evil exists apart from God? What if God does truly exist, but the perfect world that he created, that he intended for us, was spoiled a long time ago when mankind originally rebelled against him? And what if, because of man's rebellion against God, mankind opened the floodgate of all the things now that are in our world that were not originally intended to be here? Things like death, disease, crime, murder, betrayal, all kinds of inhumanity to other people, and and the list goes on and on. Every imaginable evil or suffering or pain in this world, what if it is the result of mankind's original rebellion against God? And what if now, because we live in this world, we are all affected in some way because of it? In other words, like, for example, you know, we've come to learn the dangers of even secondhand smoke, right? So you may not have been the one to light up the cigarette, but if you're in the same room, your clothes are going to end up smelling like it, your hair and even your lungs could be impacted just because you're in proximity to the one who originally lit it up, okay? And so in a similar way, even though we weren't a part of original rebellion against God, that isn't to say we're innocent, but we're not, but even though we weren't a part of the original rebellion, we now are all subject to the side effects. And it is inescapable that we live in a, in a world that has now been tainted and polluted by sin. And as a result, things happen. And we are just simply subject now to the side effects of this, of this corrupt world. And what if God, knowing all this, put in motion a long time ago a plan to redeem us from this messy world and in the meantime to help us through our own personal suffering and pain while we wait for the ultimate redemption. What if God does exist and he is the real one who can help us through our suffering? Well, if pain and suffering in this world doesn't cause some to question the existence of God, it may cause others to question the goodness of God. So you might be one who says, I believe in God, but I'm having trouble believing in his goodness because I can't reconcile this. Why would a good God allow pain and suffering in this world? And to answer that, I want to put it on a human perspective. Because there are some professions and some positions in this world that understand goodness is not always indicated by um, our, our perception of, of who they are. For example, a surgeon, a physical therapist, um, an athletic trainer, a dentist, a parent, all of them know all too well that in being good, you sometimes might appear as if you are not being kind. Being good sometimes has the appearance of not being kind. Uh, Dr. Peter Kreeft, 
uh, wrote a book called Making Sense Out of Suffering. He has a doctorate from Fordham University, over 40 years' experience as a philosophy professor, first at Villanova University. More currently, he's on the faculty of Boston College. He wrote this book, Making Sense Out of Suffering, and in it he gave this illustration I thought was helpful to kind of understand a little bit about pain and suffering relative to the goodness of God. He said this, quote, Would you agree that the difference between us and God is greater than the difference between us and a bear? Imagine then a bear in a trap and a hunter who out of sympathy wants to liberate him. He tries to win the bear's confidence, but he can't do it. So he has to shoot the bear full of drugs, tranquilizers. The bear, however, thinks this is an attack and that the hunter is trying to kill him. He doesn't realize that this is being done out of compassion. And then, in order to get the bear out of the trap, the hunter has to push him further into the trap to release the tension on the spring. If the bear were semi-conscious at this point, he would even be more convinced that the hunter was his enemy who was out to cause him suffering and pain. But the bear would be wrong. Dr. Kreeft adds, quote, I believe God does the same to us sometimes, and we can't comprehend why he does it any more than the bear can understand the motivations of the hunter. As the bear could have trusted the hunter, so we can trust God, end quote. In other words, our finite minds lack the ability to always understand what God is up to or why he allows what he does. But our lack of understanding should not cause us to believe in the lack of God's goodness. Those are two separate and distinct things. Now, all that said, Job here in chapter 31, he's trying to make sense of his personal suffering. And so he's going to spiral further and further into a hole, trying to make sense out of stuff that frankly can't always make sense. You know, this side of heaven, friends, there's going to be some stuff in life that just doesn't always make sense. And shame on any of us for trying to make an explanation or give an explanation out of stuff that simply can't be understood, at least not to our finite minds. So Job, here's what he does in chapter 31. He starts to ask or make, they're not really questions, make 19 statements that begin with if. Because he's going to be saying, well, if I've done this and if I've done that, then maybe this is the reason. But he realizes making a personal checklist, well, I haven't done this and I haven't done that, so here's this question, why is this happening to me? And if you've ever experienced any kind of suffering to any degree, it's a common question. Why is this happening and where is God in all this? What have I done to deserve it? All right, so this is where he's coming from. And I'm just going to do a quick survey of chapter 31 with you. I'm not going to read the whole thing or even all 19 if statements, but I just want to highlight a few with you. So here in chapter 31, look at verse 5. He says, If I have walked in falsehood, or my foot has hurried after deceit. All right, so he's checking off the list. I, I'm not a liar, and I'm not a deceiver. Uh, jump to verse 9. He says, If my heart has been enticed by a woman. All right, check, I'm not lustful. Or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door. All right, check, I'm not a peeping Tom, so a little TMI here, but thank you, Job, for letting us know you don't look in your neighbor's window. All right, verse, verse uh, 13, he says, If I have denied justice to my men servants and maidservants when they had a grievance against me. All right, I haven't been unjust, check. Uh, verse 17, If I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, I haven't been selfish. Verse 19, If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing, or a needy man without a garment. I haven't been uncaring. 
Jump to verse 24. If I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. All right, I haven't been greedy. Jump to verse 31. If the men of my household have never said who has not had his fill of Job's meat. Okay, I'm not stingy. I feed everybody who comes to my table. Verse 33, he says, if I have concealed my sin as men do by hiding my guilt in my heart. He says, I don't don't have any unconfessed sin. And so on and on the list goes. In other words, he starts to examine his life and he states his case. He says, "I, I haven't been a liar. I haven't been a deceiver. I haven't been lustful, unjust, selfish, uncaring, greedy, stingy. I have no unconfessed sin. I'm not a peeping Tom. And, and then he says in verse 35, if you look at verse 35, he says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Okay, so he appeals to God at the end of all this. He basically says, I don't think I've done anything to deserve this. I can't think of anything. So why is this happening to me? And where is God in all of this? Answer me, God. And God will answer him. Go to chapter 38. God will answer him in a big way. God appears to him in a storm. Literally, it can be translated a tornado. So this tornado shows up, and God speaks to Job between chapters 38 and 41. And you might want to make a note in the margin of your Bible there that God is going to ask Job 77 rhetorical questions. Between chapters 38 and 41, God is going to ask him 77 rhetorical questions about cosmology, oceanography, meteorology, and astronomy. He's going to see how smart Job is or not. And this is going to be what ends up being the most comprehensive survey of creation in all of the Bible, between chapters 38 and 41. So uh, I'm not going to read all 77 rhetorical questions, but I will at least uh, give you an idea of the content here. Go to chapter 38 now if you're there and look at verses 1 through 11. Let me just read verses 1 through 11. And then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. All right. The word man there, by the way, in the Hebrew is gibor. And it means brace yourself like a warrior, uh, like a mighty man, or like a soldier. So God is saying to him, stand up like a soldier, because I'm I'm about ready to tell you what you do not know. So brace yourself. And And he goes on, I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you? When I laid the earth's foundation, tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Hey, by the way, don't you love? God has the gift of sarcasm. Some of you have that gift, don't you? Okay, it's in the Bible right here. God is being sarcastic. There's some sarcasm here that he's giving to Job. He's like, who marked off its dimensions? Oh, tell me, Job. Surely you know, right? He says, who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your, pr- your proud waves halt. And then he, he goes on, verse 12, Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. Verse 18, he says, Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And just here in chapter 38, God basically says, I'm the one who fashioned the earth, 
who limits the ocean, who brings light in the morning and darkness at night, who controls the weather, who spreads out the morning dew, who brings forth the constellations, who waters the earth, who feeds the lion as well as the ravens. So this is God's answer. Now, he's not being harsh with Job because Job obviously is in a very painful situation. But what God is doing is framing Job's understanding here. And basically the point that God is making is this. Creation and the vastness of the universe speak to the largeness of God and the limitations of man. Like the complexity of the universe, some things are simply too great to fathom. That's what he's saying here to Job. Now God will go on for a few more chapters. And in, and in chapter 40, Job basically says, I'll translate, he basically says, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> and even literally, it says he puts his hand over his mouth because he realizes, oh, wow, I'm undone. I mean, well, how, how in the world did I think that I, I should question God? And, and so he says, well, shut my mouth. I shouldn't be saying anything more. And God says, wait, I ain't done. Not God's got better grammar than that, but I'm just saying. So if you'll jump to chapter 40, I want to show you, God brings up two interesting creatures in chapter 40 and 41 as part of his answer to Job. And in chapter 40, he's going to talk about the behemoth. And in chapter 41, he's going to talk about the Leviathan. Very interesting creatures here. Uh, And so look here in chapter 40, verse 15. God says to Job, Look at the behemoth which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are close-knit. Okay, so God brings up this incredible creature that that is called a behemoth here uh, as evidence in answer to Job's questions about why is this happening to me and where are you and all of this. Now, this is interesting. By the way, some of you have footnotes in your Bibles. Footnotes are man's interpretations and commentaries on the Bible. So they're not part of the infallible scripture. Okay, So some of your comments, some of your footnotes might say that the behemoth, probably a reference to a hippo. A hippo? Excuse me. Verse 17 says his tail sways like a cedar. It's huge. You ever seen a hippo's tail? Looks like this. <laughs> it's a hippo's tail right there. Okay? It's not a hippo. This is probably, friends, this is probably a dinosaur. Now extinct, but this is probably a brachiosaurus. An herbivore, grass-eating, long, the long-necked brachiosaurus with the long, sweeping tail as well. By the way, that's a whole other study in the book of Genesis. But mankind did originally, before dinosaurs went extinct, did originally live during the same time as dinosaurs, contrary to what some scientists would say. Dr. Carl Baugh, years ago, discovered fossilized human imprints right alongside of dinosaur footprints uh, along the Paluxy River in um, Glen Rose, Texas. So it is a documented fact that we used to coexist, but now no longer. They're no longer here, but probably a reference to a brachiosaurus dinosaur. And then look to chapter 41. In verse 1, he mentions the Leviathan. God says, Can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? Now, again, in your footnotes, mine says possibly the Leviathan was a crocodile. Not so. Go to verse 18. Look at the description of the Leviathan out of verse 18. It says, His snorting throws out flashes of light. His eyes are like the rays of dawn. Fire brands stream from his mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. 
Smoke pours from his nostrils, as from a boiling pot over a fire of reeds. His breath sets coals ablaze, and flames dart from his mouth. Okay? Uh, listen, friend, I've never seen a fire-breathing crocodile. Okay? So what in the world is the Leviathan? Interesting, in Isaiah 27.1, it also mentions the Leviathan as a gliding serpent, a monster of the sea. Okay? This is probably a dragon. Now, I know that we think dragons are mythological, but the truth is that every ancient culture has recorded by drawings uh, pictures of fire-breathing dragons. They probably did once exist. I don't think it's far-fetched. In fact, I, I sometimes wonder if this, since Isaiah refers to the Leviathan as a gliding serpent and monster of the sea, if in fact the people of Scotland up in Loch Ness have actually seen something that is still a carryover of these ancient days. But anyway, no matter what these were, the behemoth or the Leviathan, I want you to notice what God says about them. Closing verse of chapter 40. Look at verse 24. The last verse of verse 40, of chapter 40. God says about the behemoth, Can anyone capture him by the eyes or trap him and pierce his nose? And then look further down, chapter 41, verse 2. Speaking about the Leviathan, can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Okay, these are rhetorical questions, but what God is basically saying, the reason he brings up these creatures is because he's saying to Job, you can't tame what is untamable. Or translation, you can't control what is uncontrollable. So we're going to have to trust God. That's why God brings all this up about creation and then specifically the behemoth and Leviathan. He's wanting Job to know. That's interesting in God's answers to Job. Listen, he, Job, God does not even address the subject of suffering. He doesn't even address it as a topic. What God does basically say is through this whole explanation of creation and the vastness and the grandeur and the splendor of creation and behemoth and Leviathan, how you can't tame these, these wild creatures, what God is basically saying to Job is this, if I am sovereign over all the universe, holding the things of this universe in my hand, I can hold you and the pain and the season of suffering you're going through in my hand as well. And if I know your pain, like I've known the formation of this earth because I created it, and if I see your pain, like I see the stars that I have named one by one and flung into outer space, then please know I am not absent, I am not silent, and I am with you. And friends, that's sometimes where we just have to lie. Resting and trusting in God, even though some things this side of heaven, we can't understand. Some things that happen to us are beyond our control. In the vastness of the universe, may we be reminded that God is large and we are limited. We're small. We can't. Now, that isn't to say that our suffering and our pain isn't, isn't, is also small or somehow insignificant. It's not. But in perspective, we have to be able to put our, our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because some things in life will not make sense. Some things are beyond our control. And in the grand scheme of things, God is the one who will hold us in the palm of his hand and help us through every miserable moment of this messy world. That's our hope. He is our peace in Ephesians 2. He is our hope in Colossians 1. He is our refuge in Psalm 46.1, which says God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Folks, ultimately, 
God took our pain and our suffering and placed it on Jesus who died on a cross that we might have relationship with the one who can help us in our time of suffering. Look to the Lord, trust Him, and ask Him for His help. Amen. As we read the book of Job, we can't help but be overwhelmed by the pain of Job's story. Job was a righteous man, yet God allowed him to endure tragedy upon tragedy, taking Job to the bottom of existence. Job's friends and even his wife encouraged him to turn away from God, yet Job remained faithful to his creator. Through every trial he faced, Job kept his eyes fixed on God, and God rewarded him for it. His story now stands as an inspiration for us as we too endure hardship. God knows what you face today, and He is by your side. He's providing the strength you have to keep moving forward and is wrapping His arms around you in comfort. We may not know what God's plans are, but like Job, we can trust that He's in control. We'd love to pray with you as you move forward in your own life circumstances. Please give us a call at 703-771-1500. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Find links to all of these at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy you tuned in to Cornerstone Connection today. May God bless you richly today for your faith in Him. Pastor Gary's teaching and Job will resume next time right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.